It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is former CEO, Krista Knox. Kristen is an accomplished executive with vast experience in marketing, sales, business development, board management, strategic planning, and M&A. Her personal motto in life is to be kind, work hard, and have fun. Building and leading great teams is her favorite part of the job, and she was president and CEO of Data Sciences International, or DSI, and led a successful exit for its investors in January of 2018. Kristen has a BA from the University of St. Thomas and is a proud Tommy's fan, and she received her MBA from Cardinal Stritch University. Kristen Knox, welcome into the corner office. Well, thank you. It is my pleasure to be here this morning. Well, it's great to have you here, and it's an early morning at that. We were just both commenting, and we appreciate you starting your day with us. And um, kind of in the spirit of that, we get started with a little bit of the early days uh, when we get into these podcasts, and we'd love to know a little bit about you know, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Sure. So I grew up in southeast Minnesota in a farming community. Midwestern girl. Yeah, Midwestern <laughs> girl. Spamtown, USA. Uh, so Austin, Minnesota, which is the headquarters of Hormel Foods is there. And around the community, there's a lot of farming to support that industry. And I, in fact, I lived on a farm in my early days before we moved to the big town of Austin. Wow. Wow. Now, did uh, mom and dad run a farm? Uh, was that their, their vocation at the time when you were growing up in your early days? It was. My my dad was responsible for the the crop and we had hog um, oh, wow. in our, on our farm. And then it got really tough for farmers in the 80s. So we, we moved out, but my grandmother and uncle ran a farm and still, in fact, my uncle and, and cousin are running it today. And over the years, they grew that. Um, they bought more land and really focused more on the crop versus versus the animal side of things. But you're able to keep it in the family, which is a good thing. You know, yes. we've had we've had a lot of CEOs, believe it or not, who have come from the Middle West. Several of which have come from a farm background. And unfortunately, most of the story is, you know, Dad had to sell, yep. or you know, we moved on, or um, I never want to go back there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a combination of those things. Yeah. Were, were your parents, uh, you know, did they come from farming families themselves? Did your dad and mom grow up in the farming industry? Yeah, my my dad did. Uh, my my mom did not. She grew up in, in rural uh, Minnesota, 
but her family were not farmers. Yeah. Okay. She got brought into it. She what about did. brothers and sisters uh, growing up, uh, older, younger siblings? I am the middle child. Middle child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the middle of two uh, sisters. So there's right. oh, the wow. three girls growing up. Your and dad had your hand, has had his hands full. <laughs> yeah. And I always feel badly for my mom because as teenagers, I don't think we were the easiest. And there were three of us going through it at the same time. So. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Having had two teenage girls myself, so I know what that's like. Yeah. They're both in their 20s now, so thank goodness. So you got survived. I did survive, and I've got the scars to prove it. But, yeah, I uh, bet you do. Tell me a little bit about kind of the influences, particularly mom and dad. You know, what uh, what do you remember from growing up in terms of types of things that they taught you or maybe the behavior they demonstrated? Yeah, I think the most influential people in my early days were all women. Um, my mother and my my two grandmas, you mentioned in the opening that my my personal motto in life is to be kind, work hard, and have fun. And I learned that by watching these three women. Um, very, my parents were divorced when I was ten, and so my mom uh, she had to work really hard. But what she taught me is the importance of balance with all of that. And uh, be kind was what I learned from her probably more than anything. And I remember many times her saying hi to somebody, and I'd say, Mom, who is that? (laughs) I have no idea, but everybody deserves a smile. And I've really taken that into how I lead. Um, There's no room for jerks on my team, and I think there's (laughs) a very productive way to get business done and be kind at the same time. So uh, I learned all of those things. My grandma, you know, grow, le- leading a farm, her and my uncle. My grandpa died when when she was 50. Uh, and she had this farm that she had to figure out how to continue to run. So her and my uncle did that. And you watch a farmer work, uh, you know, the day never ends for never them. Never ends. It starts very early. Yep, right? yep. So that work hard I got from her. And then my grandma, D. She just had a lot of fun in her life. Uh, so she, you know, I would stay overnight at her house. We'd be up till two in the morning watching Laurel and Hardy and and, and playing cards. And then we'd sleep There's till the having noon. fun coming yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I really I took took those really important parts of who I am today uh, from those three, uh, those three very influential women in my life. Well, you know, that be kind is so important. Interestingly, my middle daughter, believe it or not, would used to say when we'd walk on the beach together and I would say hello. Do you know them? Yeah. Do you know them? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and today she's grown into a person who is extremely friendly, you know, and, you know, it's something like demonstrating that behavior. Do you find yourself saying hello to people in elevators as well? Oh, absolutely. My, ki- <laughs> my kids say the same thing to me, Mom. Mom, do you know them? Yeah. And I just you feel embarrass like me, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But they're growing up to be very kind people, so yeah. I think it's, it's working. It's a behavioral thing, I do think. I'm, I'm sure there's some DNA there, too, but the nurturing and demonstration of that behavior is important. Uh, did, was mom um, a professional then? Did she work as she brought up the th- three girls? Yep. She was a nurse um, and she was a nurse for an orthopedic surgeon and took a lot of call. So she'd work, you know, in the office during the day or in surgery with him and then uh, carry a pager. Most of my uh, childhood from 10 on, I remember <laughs> mom um, getting the call, mom being ready to go, wow. uh, it, but that was a, that was a way for her to help, um, finance our lives. And and so she she really had to work long hours in order to do that. Did dad stay in your life beyond the age of 10? Did you have, you know, weekends or 
summers or or not so much a, a part of your life growing up from that point? Not on? as much. Uh, you know, today it's so different. Uh, then, you know, it wasn't as much about shared custody. So we would see my dad uh, occasionally on weekends. My mom was really the one who... who did all the hefty, heavy lifting. She did. <laughs> uh, she did. But my grandma, my dad's mom, was the farmer. Um, she... She loved my mom. So we you were always, close. yeah, we all we stayed nice. close as an extended family. So that part of the family, yeah, terrific. Uh, school, did you kind of go to the old country school that we envision in, you know, <laughs> the heartland? Or, yeah. Or were you in a larger public school? And tell us about, you know, how you were as a student. It was a public school. I think my graduating class was 230, something like that. So not, not, not tiny, but, but not huge. I was a good student, uh, but I had to work at it. I wasn't, I envied those people who could just roll out of bed and show up to a test. <laughs> Never study. That was not me. I, I had to study, uh, and still in my adult life, you know, if I take on a new challenge, uh, I dive in and I want to learn the root of, of what that challenge is. And that's how I was as a student. So I did really well, but I had to work at it. What about outside of class, sports, music, theater, anything else you were involved with? Yeah, I was uh, I was an athlete. I loved ba- basketball, played a lot of basketball. Um, I'm Do not, you have the height? I don't have the height. I was just going to say that. You had the quickness then. Yeah, yeah. I had the hustle. In fact, I have, a, I have a little trophy that I've kept of all those trophies that I was I was rated Miss Hustle. Um, <laughs> that's great. And, and that, that's what I had. I had the hustle. I, w- I definitely wasn't the best player on the team, but I, I put in a lot of effort. Um, you were a good guard, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Did I, you play all the way through high school? Or I, was that- I stopped in my, I was just thinking about this as I was driving in. Because I wasn't the best player, once you get to high school, I was number two point guard. So I sat the bench a lot. Um, and I remember after one basketball game, I thought to myself, this is kind of pointless. I'm not going to go play this in college and I'm not playing right now. So the next year. And you year, still have all the practice and yeah, all the time yeah. that can fall. So, right? so the next year I decided to, to try cheerleading and, uh, that was a lot of fun. And it was one of my early lessons in leadership because when I, uh, my first year as a cheerleader, our coach went on maternity leave. So we had, we had no coach. And uh, she asked me and another gal to step, step up, up and be captains. And so we got to lead the team um, through practice, through all of the games, and then through a couple of camps. And I really had a ton of fun with that. Just being able to influence what we did um, on Friday nights at the football game was, was, was kind of exciting. Did you go through all sports? In other words, at my high school, you know, the cheerleader squad did basketball, did football, et cetera. Uh, it was a different squad for okay, each Okay, it was a different sport. squad. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, so, it would have been kind of difficult the basketball games, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did uh, football you and then football. I did um, boys basketball in my junior and senior year. What about entrepreneurial things growing up? Uh, you know, did you have the, the equivalent or or the actual proverbial um, paper route, or did you, you know, sell things at Christmas cards at, you know, Christmas time, et cetera? Well, I have worked since I was 12 and that first job was, a, was indeed a paper route. <laughs> you know, that's a very common denominator among our CEOs. I oh, must yeah. say, oh, I got 80%, I'd say. And one, one, uh, particular CEO, I won't, I won't mention her. So you have to go listen to the podcast, but she was the youngest girl of four boys. Oh, so gosh. they paid her a penny a paper to fold them. 
<laughs> so she was up at 4.30 in the morning for all four of her brothers. All of them had paper routes, so she was the one folding all the papers. Anyway, oh, that's, that's great. Oh, that's funny. No, I had I had a paper route. I think I was 12 when I took that on and then did the babysitting gigs. Um, and then when I was 14, my neighbor owned a, a restaurant in Austin called the Oak Grill. Um, sorry, the Oak Leaf. Oak Grill was another restaurant. And so they hired me to I bus tables and uh, then worked there throughout high school and my first year in college. And then when I moved to the big uh, Twin Cities, got a, a waitressing job up here and really paid for most of my college with it. Sounds like you had some good customer service exposure then too. Not, not just with the paper route and knocking on the doors and collecting the money, right? You had to yeah. do it back in those days, right? Yeah. But also the the service industry, the, the food and dining industry. I think great. everybody should do that in their lives. It gives them an appreciation for um, that customer service and just the the pressure when people are hungry. They are not happy. <laughs> they're if not they're... happy. Exactly. <laughs> so you learn at a young age how to manage expectations. <laughs> right. Just stay calm. Stay patient. Right. Yeah. Work and it gives it. you appreciation for people working in the service industry. Um, it's not an easy job, uh, and they deserve that twenty percent tick tip at the end of dinner. Yeah. No. Exactly. So was it kind of a foregone conclusion that you'd go to college? Did mom and dad kind of give you the option? Um, were they, you know, did, did, were they college educated? Yeah. So my mom was a nurse and, yeah, so and she my, got her my, certification. Yep, yeah. my, um, aunt was a nurse. My cousin was a nurse. It was just sort of assumed that I would also be a nurse. Uh, so I did go to school to be a you nurse. You went to a similar industry, but we'll get to that in a minute. So. Yeah. Well, actually <laughs> I, I started, um, when I was in high school, I took all my prerequisites for the nursing program. So I did post-secondary education. And when I graduated, it went right into the the nursing program at the community college in in Austin. And uh, I I almost finished the first year of that. And once I went into clinical, I quickly realized this is not what I want to do. Uh, So I had to break that uh, news to my mom. And she really tried to convince me to just finish. Uh, In hindsight, I probably should have followed her advice because I just had a year left and I would have been a, a registered nurse. Uh, but I decided to switch gears. So getting to my career, um, really finalizing my major was sort of a curvy path to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. So um, then the, the the actual degree that you studied, where did you kind of, how did you make that decision and, and what, you know, the decision to go to the college you went to? Yeah. So I, um, when I was sitting down at the table with my mom, breaking the news to her, I said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, mom, but I know I want to wear a suit every day to work. And at the time, I didn't really know what I was articulating. But what I, as an adult, as a mature adult now, I I think I was uh, thinking about was the opportunity to lead. um, Be a professional. And be a professional. Yeah. And I didn't Did she know what you meant? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) You got that quizzical look like like, kid, you know, what What do you all find now? (laughs) I didn't have exposure to a lot of people working in a business community. You know, my family were farming or in healthcare. I mean, those were the options I thought were available to me. So it was sort of a foreign concept. Uh, what, what would this mean to, to work in a business environment? Uh, but I stayed at the community college for that year and, and finished that out and took a, a, a some accounting classes, a finance class, and then I then I tried a um, marketing class and I loved it. 
And and so I knew I wanted to go into business. And in the in the cities, to me, there are a couple of options to consider. One was the University of St. Thomas, which has a very good business school, and then the University of Minnesota. And uh, St. Thomas, you know, coming from a small community, uh, going to the U of M, uh, that was as big as the town I yeah. grew up in. Yeah, I was going to say, right, yeah, in terms it, of just so the student kind of population. Yeah, so I uh, loved the University of St. Thomas campus. They had a really good business program. And so I settled on that. And my goal was to get done in that four years. So even though I had taken a detour to nursing, I finished in four years. I was paying for most of my school myself. And I wasn't going to pay for five. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say ingrown, you know, incentive to get done in a hurry. Exactly, exactly. What was the first job you took outside of college once you you graduated? Yeah, so before I even had a job, um, I moved to Rochester, Minnesota, which is where Mayo Clinic is. So I said to myself, I may not be a nurse, but I still want to be involved with the healthcare community. Um, so I, I rented an apartment and I just started applying for jobs at Mayo Clinic. At Mayo. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, my first job was in, uh, the research department, research Were you hired right away? I was. So fortunately, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> fortunately before I even moved there, um, I, I had a job lined up and, and that was, that was a huge relief. Um, so I got the lease, got the job and then, and then moved there, um, yeah, so my first job was in research administration, helping uh, PhD, MD folks get grants from the NIH. So I would help them with their budgets, get things on time there. Uh, and I didn't love it. Um, it was it was pretty administrative. It didn't really get, I didn't get to use my marketing um, job, my marketing education. So uh, after about eight months, there was a marketing position that opened up uh, for a for-profit entity within Mayo Clinic called Mayo Medical Laboratories. And uh, after probably the most extensive interview process I've ever gone through since, um, it was really extensive. I was fortunate to to land that job in the marketing team. Even internally, they would put you through that type? Yeah, it was it, by far the most intense. Now, I mean, even with my CEO job, it was it was more intense for interviewing process than that. Well, the very high standards, I guess. What was different about that interview process that you remember, other than its length and the number of people you probably talked exactly to? the in the in, the intensity, uh, very behavioral, question driven. But I had a panel interview, so I was out in the boardroom with eight of the team members, and they would just. They kept firing at me, all in a very. I hate panels. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really do. And I never, <laughs> my, my I clients, never. my clients say they want to do panel, and I just shake my head and said, "No more than two. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've really, never no done it to anybody. I have never put anybody through that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's terrible. <laughs> it, it's just it, you just don't. Yeah, it's a. But it was a good experience to have it. I think I was twenty three at the time, uh, young and. And that, that I mean, was, it feels like a firing squad, it's though, exactly doesn't it? What I it mean, feels you know, really, like, that's yeah. and you know, it has that kind of visual as well. Here, there's seven, eight people in their guns or their tongues, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be very intimidating. It was good, but uh, so I landed that job um, and and had a blast doing that. And then when my, my husband and I got married, he was working in the cities, and then that's why that's the only reason I decided to to move on from Mayo. What were some of the earliest early uh, leadership lessons you learned from bosses and mentors, and, and, and good and bad? And you don't have to mention any names. Yeah, but that's okay. uh, you know, uh, you know, we learned kind of like you, you know, behaviorally younger. Uh, you know, you saw certain things: the being kind, having fun, the playing games, watching Laurel and Hardy. You know, what what do you remember from some of those early bosses? 
Well, you know what? I, I didn't used to believe in luck, um, but when I look back at my career, I realize I have been incredibly lucky in the people I have been fortunate to work for. So I've only had one bad boss. Uh, most of everybody that I've worked for, I've learned um, all, all positive things. Of course, of course, you would do things different, right? There's no one that's going to do things exactly the same way that you would. Um, but you know, probably one of the earliest lessons that I learned is to believe in myself. Um, and I, and I learned that by, uh, these, uh, awesome managers that I had that really trusted me with things. I'm sometimes surprised that they did, <laughs> uh, leading your know, big projects very early in my career, letting me have direct reports very early in my career. And, you know, they saw something in me that I didn't see yet, um, and, and they gave me the opportunity to, to grow. And, and I'll forever be thankful to them for, for those opportunities early in my career. Do you remember the first time you started managing people? Yes, I do. Um, I was 27, and I went to my manager, and I said, you know, I, I really want to have this experience. And he said... Um, kind of without hesitation. Okay, we'll figure it out. Uh, so I was a market manager at, at Autobach Healthcare at the time, and the business line I was responsible for was growing rapidly. So I was able to hire two associate market managers who reported to me, and, and we had a ton of fun. Uh, it was really about growing the business and how fast can we get our product out into the market. And they were very both instrumental. One came with a clinical, more of a clinical background, and then one was a new graduate from um, mar a marketing degree. And yeah, yeah, we just had fun together. Um, it never felt like I was managing. It was more like we were working, working together. Working side by side, yeah. What were some of the other uh, you know, kind of early management uh, lessons that you learned? Probably the biggest lesson that my husband actually helped me learn was... <laughs> Sometimes we need those. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And as long as they're honest with you, which she always is, <laughs> right. and as long as you listen, you can learn a lot from them. Um, so I, I, I don't remember exactly what, what, I, what we were talking about, but I was frustrated about um, one of the employees. Not, I didn't feel like they were giving it, you know, giving it their all. And he, he just stopped me and he said, Kristen, you have to realize not everyone is like you. In fact, very few people are like you. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're not working. It doesn't mean they're not uh, engaged. They're just not living this and breathing this and sleeping this like you are. And that was- Interesting. Um, it's a good lesson. It was a very good lesson because even though I hold myself to a very high standard, I hold my team to a very high standard. But I'm also very realistic. I want people to have lives. I want people to be able to go home and hang out with their kids and go on a bike ride, whatever it is that helps them be balanced. Because that's the part that I learned is if you put too much time into work and don't have allow that time to have fun, things get out of whack um, and people burn out. So it was a very early lesson that I learned from my husband. Um, no, that's a good one. Did, <laughs> did you learn, and was it about that time too, that you learned that a cookie cutter approach to yeah. managing people doesn't work, Absolutely. right? You know, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember that in my early career too. And, you know, it's just so important to be able to recognize that, yeah, everybody has different motivations. And everybody and to... works differently and learns differently. I mean, so I have a, I offer a very flexible work environment. If you need to go to Starbucks for the day or where, I don't care where you work. We have, we have a job to do. We have um, expectations that we need to meet and objectives. 
just meet them. Um, and, and we have regular one-on-ones to do that. Uh, but that took me a while to figure that out too. Uh, and that was really reflecting on how I work. And that's, I work very differently than, you know, the person sitting next to me and just being self-aware, it helps you uh, be a better leader. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over time, Kristen? I think it's really about, I'm, I'm an incredibly optimistic person. Um, I always, I can hear that. I always, <laughs> I always believe there's a way, um, but that has bit me a couple of times because uh, I wasn't listening to the maybe potential uh, blind spots or pitfalls that that were going to be ahead. So I think um, where I always start with yes and get frustrated by people who start with no, um, what I have and how I have evolved over time is is to listen um, and 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 understand that they're not trying to be obstructionists, but there's something there and really taking the perspective of everybody on the team before you dive really far into a new project. Um, I always just started with, well, there's a way to get this done and charged ahead. Um, so I pause, I listen, I reflect a little bit and then, and then march forward. You've got very interesting career. We were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, because when you joined ESI, you've did several roles and then, you know, made it into the corner office and then went through a transition. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of both your thinking in terms of how, you know, you've made that transition to, to where you are today. Okay. Uh, well, I'll start earlier in my uh, DSI career. So I um, had the great fortune to work with a, a mentor. His name was Bert. And he was the CEO that I worked under at Autobach Healthcare. And he's one of these guys that just believed in me, um, believed in me very young, uh, gave me the opportunity at Autobach to lead their new technology uh, line of products. And I look back, I'm like, why did he, I was, I was 26 years old. How did he trust me with this new, I mean, it was really, it revolutionized the company. And, and I worked there for eight years and I loved every single minute out of it. If you ask me what was my favorite job, it's always going to be that one because it was so fun. Um, but I had, I'd crossed that point in my career. I'd been there eight years and trying to decide what I wanted to do next. And, um, I moved on, I moved on from Autobach. It was a very emotional decision, but I knew it was the right was, time. Was Bert still there? He was still there. Uh, he was still there. Um, and so I moved on to, to a company that didn't work for me culturally. It just, it didn't work for me, but I, uh, decided to give it a good old college try. And I decided to commit to one year before moving on. And then when I got to that one year point, uh, was the same time Bert, Bert was leaving Autobach and joining data sciences. And he called and me. he was going over there as, as CEO. CEO. Yeah. In fact, at first he retired from Autobach and he was going to be on the board <laughs> at DSI. And then when he was going through that interview process to be on the board of directors, they said, Hey, you, you know what? Uh, we think he'd be a really good CEO. <laughs> no big surprise there. Yeah. So he, yeah, great, great leader. Um, and when he called me, I, I didn't know the company DSI. And frankly, I didn't care. Um, the opportunity to, to work, work with, with him, him again, again uh, I knew was going to be uh, worth this detour in my career. Um, and it by far- Were they a smaller company? They were. Yep. Yep. They are. They're uh, about uh, 200 employees. At the time, it was like $36 million in revenue. Uh, so smaller company in life sciences tools, which I didn't have uh, any experience in other than my very early Mayo days when I was helping those researchers get grant funding. I'm sure I wrote 
uh, DSI system into one of their grants. Um, but I did. I, I I didn't even hesitate. I mean, I talked to my husband, and he's like, "Why are we even talking about this? You, you, you've already decided." This is a decision you can make on your own. Yeah, Kristen. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I support you. Yeah. So I went there um, initially to lead the marketing team as a director of marketing. But the re- did you report directly to him? I or did. Was there- yep, I did. Yep, and and. And the reason that Bert was brought in there was to lead a transaction, to sell the company, because we had been um, backed by venture capitalists in the early 2000s. So they had been in a really long time. The plan was to take the um, technology into the human device space and then go public. And that was during the 2008 um, period of time when when a really tough time to to raise funds. so, so that was why he was brought in, get this company ready and, and go promote it uh, for sale. So that's what I helped him do. We, you know, we really uh, beefed up the marketing, we beefed up the sales and, and, and really customer facing team and uh, focused a little bit less on the R&D for a period of time and really tried to promote the business. So we hired an investment banker to represent us. Uh, we went on a roadshow. We were promoting the heck out of the business. And at the end of his tenure, because he had always committed to a five-year um, five-year time, at the end of his tenure, uh, we weren't we ha- we hadn't been successful in getting an offer that would satisfy all our investors. So, um, but but about a year before that, they had identified me as his successor. Successor, wow. And um, you know, I was really again lucky to have that opportunity to transition to a CEO role with the CEO still there. And he, somebody you loved and respected yes, and had learned a lot from. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So he gradually stepped away from the business and really just let me lead. And he would, you know, provide some coaching every once in a while, but he'd said, I don't need to be here anymore. Uh, you've got this. So he retired um, in, in June of 16. And then I uh, took over the seat and the the agreement I made with our board of directors was that uh, I would continue to keep my ears and eyes open to potential buyers. Uh, so it wasn't my full time mode. I mean, I really wanted to, and they wanted me to focus on continuing to build and and grow the company. But you know, occasionally meet with people who are interested in in the business. Um, so the first year, I just focused on that. Uh, really wanted to build up the culture, the strategic plan. Uh, I did all of that, and then the 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 investors were getting a little antsy. Like, okay, it's it's been a year now. Let's let's get busy. Um, so I started having some conversations, uh, and one thing led to another, and we had two interested parties, and one that was able to close the deal. It, it's a lot of work, um, and it, the the CFO had been with the organization for thirty years. It could not have happened without him. He was an amazing business partner to to work through that process with, um, and just an overall rewarding experience. Uh, but I think the biggest reward was that um, when we negotiated with our investors to um, let us have some more time, uh, we negotiated for all employees to be shareholders in the company. So when we got through that transaction and all share and all employees realized that their those little pieces of paper that they had been holding with the RSUs had some value now. Uh, that was really exciting. And then, you know, to satisfy our investors, it was, 
It was an amazing week of my career. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably be chasing that feeling for the rest of my career. It was, it was, it was great. It was a, a huge and you've, accomplishment. And you decided to stay on at the new company. Um, yep. So they asked me to stay on and lead DSI as a division, and in my mind, that was a transition period um, just to get to get everybody through. Uh, get the team comfortable with the, with the new owners, and then I actually exited um, DSI at the end of June and joined uh, joined a med device company here in in the cities. So it was a pretty it was a pretty smooth transition. I took a month off between jobs. I've never had that long of a vacation, uh, <laughs> and I really enjoyed hanging out with my kids. Yeah, awesome, terrific. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Talk to us a little bit about building a company culture and perhaps reflecting in on those DSI days and, you know, preparing it for sales and so forth. You know, how important was that and how much time and effort did you put against, uh, you know, that, that cultural development? Well, to me, uh, culture is number one. Um, without employees who are engaged and happy, you are not going to have customers who are satisfied. Um, and I that took me a while to figure out, frankly. When I when I came into DSI, we had a program. We were trying to drive customer satisfaction, so we had a program called Customer First. And and after it, it was really about just do the right thing for the customer. You don't need to get approval from your executive that leads your department. If the customer has an issue, just do the right thing. Uh, but after, be kind, work hard, have fun. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, but after a few years, I, I really started to think this should really be employees first because they're not going to satisfy our customers in the best way possible unless they are also satisfied. Um, but if I reflect back on one of those companies that I didn't enjoy working at, it wasn't because of the the job or because of the products. It was a really great company who made amazing products. There was something about the culture that didn't work for me. Does, doesn't mean it didn't work for other people, but did, it didn't work for me. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a good fit. And that really helped solidify in my mind how important culture is to running a successful business. So it was my number one priority. Um, but culture isn't just the CEO saying, this is how it's going to be. Um, it is the CEO uh, making it a priority, but really engaging the team and driving uh, a culture that works for that organization. So we had a culture team of um, folks from across the company, and they brought feedback on a monthly basis on what's happening. And then they would help us figure out what to do about it. Um, so it wasn't just the executive team saying, well, this we're going to do this or we're going to go to summer hours. It was them really um, sharing what would be meaningful for, for the company. And then us as a leadership team listening and, and taking action against it. Uh, so it was my number one priority. I think if you have a, a strong culture, the financial results and the customer satisfaction will follow. Flow from that. Yeah, so true. And now I'll tell you, there hasn't been one CEO that we've spoken with that hasn't said the same thing. Oh, okay. You know, well, that, that's good. Uh, the, the culture is extremely important. What do you look for, uh, Kristen, when you're making bets on the people you invest in? This is this has evolved over time. Uh, you know, when I was really focusing on the function of uh, of marketing uh, and, and at a pretty uh, tactical level, you know, you're looking for can they do that job? Um, what once you grow in your career uh, and people pass the resume test, you realize that it's it's more about how they're going to fit. Uh, what 
what's their back to the cultural thing. Back to the it? culture. I mean, you could take the smartest, brightest um, <laughs> person, and if you transplant that into them into a team that they don't work well with, they're not going to be successful, and the team isn't going to be successful. So, I really the most important part for me when I'm looking for um, a new team member is is fit. Of course, the table stakes are they can do the job and they have that experience. Um, but beyond that, it's how are they going to fit in this organization? And do they have just that? I mentioned hustle earlier, but just the tenacity and the hustle and that the passion to get the job done. Um, I, and again, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I have a really tough time with people who <laughs> who aren't. Um, and it, 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 I've had people like that on the team. And at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. Um, they're not happy because, you know, the sun is not always shining, Kristen, and I'm not happy because, uh, it, it's always raining in their world. So <laughs> finding, finding that, finding that right fit is, is the number one thing I look for. You know, so true, you know, in our executive recruiting, uh, practice, uh, Kristen, I always tell my new clients, particularly as we're pitching a, a sale. You know, any recruiter can bring a hundred, if not a thousand resumes to right. you. But, you know, it's really about finding that fit. And, and we spend a lot of time with our clients getting to know them. You know, we'll do deep dives with seven to 10 key executives, sometimes on the board, sometimes even with suppliers to get to know them because that will really determine how we best filter the people with the right qualifications. And believe me, in today's job market, sometimes it's even hard to find them. But, uh, you know, the that that, you know, key element of, you know, do they have the same attitude? If they were in that room, you know, what would they say? And would this be someone they'd want to be stranded on a desert island with, you know, for a while? It's, it's so important. Well, Kristen, you've been very generous with your time. We do have one last question that we ask all our CEOs. And, you know, our market uh, is with the middle market. We, of course, work with CEOs across the uh, various categories, but we, you know, we recruit in, in a variety of different disciplines. But, you know, many times we get asked by you know, people that maybe are in their 20s or their 30s and they've got their eye on the corner office. And, you know, what what career and life advice would you give to someone who, you know, maybe wants to make that same journey to CEO that you have? Well, I would first start by saying, um, I, and I always tell my team this, don't be focused on a title. Um, people are very focused on, you know, if I'm a manager, it's a senior manager and then it's a director. Um, you know, careers don't have a linear path. Usually it's not just, it's not a straight line. Um, there are a lot of, uh, moves sideways to, to gain uh, new experience. But I, I think the biggest piece of advice I would be is be very intent on what you want to learn. Um, so I remember going to Bert, uh, early in my time at DSI. And I said, you know, at some point in my career, I'd love to be in the corner office. I said, I'd love to have general management experience. What do you think I need to do in, in order to do that? And, and so he gave me uh, the opportunity to work closer with sales. Uh, I carried a bag for a little while, um, not, not in the true sense of the word. He gave me some experience, had me shadow the, the CFO, help, helped me get some finance experience. But truthfully, I didn't think that was going to happen for me until I was, you know, I don't know, 10 years later than it actually did. I didn't have a timeline in my mind. I just wanted to keep learning and Get growing. the experiences. Yeah. And, and so when people are laser focused on a title, um, I think they have, I always try to coach them in a slightly different direction because I think they'll probably be disappointed in timeline or, or, or just overall job satisfaction. So I always start with, well, what do you want to learn? Or where do you think the gaps are? 
but then I'll go back to uh, my be kind, work hard, and, and have fun because nothing comes for free, right? There's a lot of hard work that goes into any job. And if you want to continue to grow, it, it isn't an eight to five mentality, right? It's, uh, it, it becomes who you are uh, and, and continuously learning and, and challenging yourself but you have to keep the balance. Um, people who become again become too focused or work work you know eighty hours a week, they're not having fun in their life, and that's gonna that's, <laughs> that's gonna right. Catch that's up right. With, you know, some people will say, "Well, this is what's fun for me." Like, ah, I, I don't buy it. <laughs> I love to work, but if I if I'm working too much and not making time for the other thing, uh, the other things in my life, uh, I feel out of balance. So, my advice is to just focus on what you want to learn. Um, and, and really make time for yourself and finding that balance. And eventually, great things will, will happen. Um, I, I get worried about people who are concerned about timelines uh, because it doesn't usually happen on any sort of time frame that you think it's going to. And I've been surprised. Unfortunately, things have happened fast for me in my life, so I, I don't feel like I've ever been waiting for that next thing. Um, but I've also had great mentors who helped me find the path and that I worked really hard to get there. Well, it is about the journey and not the destination. Yes, that's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely true. Kristen, once again, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. Yes, it was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.